So thanks for being here today and joining us on Football Sunday. I'm wearing my team colors today, and uh, people ask me why. Because I am not a bandwagon, right? Come on, somebody, through thick and thin. And there's been a lot of thin, okay? And so uh, we're hoping for better days. And it, isn't that, isn't that like, like uh, you know, believers, like Christians, we're always hopeful, hoping for that better day, hoping for that better season, right? Uh, and so this morning we want to we wanna just enjoy ourselves. Uh, we're going to continue in our series. We started last week, and we started in a series called Running in Circles and talking about the circles that you run in. Uh, who are those people that you run with? Who is the, the crew that you run with and that circle that you run in? And we talked last week in the sense of um, just the circles of groups when we did life group launch last week and just said that everybody needs to find a place. Everybody needs somebody, right? Everybody needs somebody. And uh, you could be uh, somebody, somebody uh, that, that, that is needed. And so we just encourage people to get into life groups and do life together in these groups. And we want to continue in this series this morning. Now, I want to tell you about a guy. His name is Kenny Walker. And Kenny Walker uh, was born in 1967 in Crane, Texas. And at the age of two years old, Kenny... Um, he, he got sick and had such a high fever that he went completely deaf uh, from, his, uh, from his fever. And so he lost all of his hearing. Um, but Kenny was adamant this was not going to stop him. And Kenny went through school, and he excelled at different things. And he was an athlete. He was an academic. Um, and you, you would see that he went and played. Uh, he was a long jumper. He played basketball. But where he really made his mark was he, he was an All-American on the football field uh, as a defensive end. And so Kenny, um, he went from high school and went uh, and he was recruited by the University of Nebraska and became a Cornhusker. Anybody, any Cornhuskers here this morning? Okay. I know we've got some online, so Gary and Gail, if you're watching, go Cornhuskers, all right, talking about your boy this today. Um, and so he became uh, a Cornhusker uh, for the University of Nebraska, um, and he excelled. And it was amazing, this guy. I didn't know anything about this guy until uh, the 1991 Citrus Bowl. And the 1991 Citrus Bowl, Georgia Tech, yes, right, uh, they were undefeated. And they went into the Citrus Bowl, and uh, they played Nebraska. And I remember watching this game, and I remember this guy on the other side of the ball, this, this guy, this guy, Kenny Walker, and they were talking about him and just how he has to get relayed signals, you know, by sign language. I thought, man, this is amazing. This guy has made it to this level, and he can't hear a thing. And, and so he went through the game, went through the game. Georgia Tech won. Yes. Um, they, they beat Nebraska 45-21. But it, it, was, it was such a good game that it actually this guy made, made an impression on me. And, uh, you know, when you think about someone who, who climbs through so much adversity, someone who, who goes through so much to rise to that level of, uh, of competition and athletics. And not only that, he went from playing in, in college ball, he, he – uh, he was drafted uh, by the Denver Broncos, and so he went on and had an NFL career. Uh, but what's amazing is this, is that Kenny, after he was done with the NFL, 
he went and became a coach himself. And he went to this school called Gallaudet University. Gallaudet University. And Gallaudet University is an exceptional school for the hearing impaired. And they have a football team. And it's amazing when I began to think about this series, and, and I knew that when Kevin was going to be here today, and I, I wanted to make sure that, um, that I got it right, because Kevin, when, when they get together in these schools to do their, their devotions and stuff, they call them huddles, right? And so, so they have their, these huddles. And I got to thinking, I was like, when did the huddle get invented? Anybody? Think about this. When did, when did somebody say, hey, guys, let's circle up, and that's what this message in, is entitled today, circle up. But when did, when did they say, hey, let's circle up or let's huddle up to talk about this? Well, coincidentally, um, it was Gallaudet University back in 1897. The first huddle was invented by their quarterback. Because this school was for the hearing impaired, uh, they had to – give their, their plays by sign language. And most of the schools that they played didn't know sign language. So they could signal out uh, to people, their teammates, and they would know. They would pick up on that. Um, but then they played in, in 1897. They played two teams. They played the Pennsylvania School for the Deaf and uh, the New York School for the Deaf. And uh, so they... They knew, all right, our, our signs are going to be picked up. They're going to know what we're saying. And so the quarterback said, let's do this. Before every play, he took everybody and got in a really tight circle, and they gave the plays, and that was the birth of the huddle. You know, so there you go. You learned something today. If you don't walk away with anything else, you can go say, I know when the huddle was invented and why it was invented and where it was invented, right? But I want to talk to you about that today. I want to talk to you about this idea of circle up, circle up. We're talking about running in circles, and the circle that I want to talk to you about today is the circle that you run in of your family, right? Your tribe, your people, your team, and what does that look like, and, and how important is that? Uh, our circle in the sense of our huddle as our family is probably one of the most important circles that you're going to be in, as if not the most important circle. Um, and when you, you think about, you know, just the fallout from dysfunctional families and we can see that right anybody you've seen the evidence of that just the just the 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 chaos sometimes that happens in families the bad choices the bad decisions and why it's important for us to have strong families and families who when we huddle up and when we circle up that we're doing it with purpose and and i went and looked at the definition for a huddle and the definition for a huddle, I love it. I love the definition for a huddle because it's a great jumping off point. This is the definition for a huddle. The purpose of a huddle is to strategize, motivate, and celebrate. It's to strategize, motivate, and celebrate. You know what I think? I think that is a great strategy or a great, a great definition for your family. That in your family, you need to be strategizing. How can we be stronger? What is our family going to look like? What are our core values? What are the things we're going to say yes to? And what are the things we're going to say no to? You know what? You need to be motivating each other. Some days, um, I got to tell you this, uh, Monday, my son Cannon turned 18. And uh, Raina, when I got up on Monday morning, she asked me, and, and we've, we've, we did this, and if you're in education, please don't, don't hate on me too bad. I, on their birthday, I've always let my kids skip school, and I go take them to breakfast, and, and we go do whatever they want to do that day. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, but he's a good student, and you know what? I said, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna to let him, let him miss 
you know, this day. And so I told Raina, she, I got up, and I had to take Kobe to school. And uh, she said, hey, are you going to the gym this morning? I said, I ain't going to the gym this morning. We're going to eat breakfast, right? I'm thinking of waffles and pancakes and, you know, bacon and eggs and some more waffles. And um, this is what I'm thinking. And, and so I take my, my youngest son to school, and I come back, and Cannon's up. And, and I look at him and say, all right, man. Where you want to go eat today? Where you want to go? We're going to breakfast, right? And he's like, well, Dad, I really wanted to go to the gym. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, I want to go to the gym. So I was like, okay, we're going to the gym, so right? And I was, I was kind of caught because I knew I should go to the gym, but I didn't want to go to the gym that day. I wanted to go eat waffles and pancakes and he wasn't going to let me. He's like, no, we want to go. I want to go to the gym, so you're going to the gym. So, you know, we went to the gym. Then we went, ate waffles and pancakes, uh, which is probably better to do that. Um, but, you know, I, I, we need that. We need to strategize in our families. We need um, motivation in our families sometimes that there's days that I'm down and Raina's up and she pulls me up. And there's days, you know, that she's down and I'm up and, you know, I help pull her up. Somebody said, you know, I, I pray to God that y'all never get down on the same day, Right. So we have no one to pull us up, but we need that. We need somebody to motivate us, and we need to celebrate in our families. And I thought, you know, that's just a great connection. You know, that's what happens in a huddle. That should be happening in our own family huddles, in our own family circle. So we do have to circle up. And so the family, and I just want to start with this, the family is the birthplace of our values. The family is the birthplace of our values, whether that's good or bad. Whatever you're putting in, you learn uh, good and bad from your family, right? How many of you say there's some good things I've learned from, from my family, right? Uh, moms, dads, aunts, and uncles, there's some good things you learn. Anybody, have you picked up on a few bad things, right? <laughs> you know, maybe it was a brother or a sister or, you know, maybe it was a, maybe it was an uncle or an aunt, you know. Uh, maybe they taught you a bad word or something like that, you know. And so you think about that. You think that's the birthplace of our values is in our families and i want to go to colossians and if you'll go with me to the book of colossians colossians chapter 3 is where we're headed colossians chapter 3 beginning in verse 12 and this is what paul writes and paul is giving instruction to a group of people who have had a very different way of looking at family um, family structure in the roman empire uh, was was not like what we see today where there's empowerment to women and, um, you know, children are looked after. Uh, it was really the strongest survive, uh, and women could be subjected to a lot of things, and, and children were powerless. Uh, and, and, and so it looked very different. And so when Paul is writing to the Colossian church, he's given an instruction which is somewhat different than what they're used to. And so he gives them these instructions. In verse 12, it says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, right? There you go. There's, that's a great Bible study. If you want to good, do a good Bible study, go find all the one another's in the New Testament and see, see what, what God says to you through that. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts 
to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, or dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing um, psalms and, and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, say whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is where he picks up in, in Paul's letters. He does this. Paul always front, sl- front loads his theology. So when you're reading one of Paul's letters, his, his, the beginning of his, his letters are going to be front loaded with a lot of theology. And as you move through that letter, it's going to become very practical. And Paul gets very practical here at the end of this, at the end of this chapter here. And he says in, in verse 18, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. Come on, I'm going to say it again. Children, obey your parents in everything. Come on, somebody. I should get an amen from a parent. Amen. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And he goes, it's interesting, you know. Uh, he, he, he talks to men here twice as husbands and fathers. He's, he's got instructions for husbands and he's got instructions for fathers. Sometimes, you know, you need to hear something twice. And uh, he, he goes on and he says this. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And he goes on. He says, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by uh, way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord and whatever you do there we go it, it, it kind of reiterates what he said uh, uh, earlier whatever you do work heartily as for the lord and not for men and why are we doing what we do why do we serve how we serve why do we give when we give why do we serve our families and a lot of times he's like well they don't care that i do this but we do it as for the lord i, I want to have the heart of love because that's who God is. That's who God is, and I want to reflect that. That's who Jesus is, and I want to reflect that picture, not only to the church and not only on this stage. I want to do it when nobody else sees me, when, when I'm in my house with my family. I want to reflect that. And actually, I want to reflect it there the most, because I think that's where, first and foremost, we've been called to influence. And so the family is the birthplace of our values. Paul gives instruction to family here, and it's the, uh, it's the central circle that has that mo- the most influence. Um, there's a guy by the name of Reggie Joyner. He runs an organization called um, Think Orange, and this is what he said. They, they, they talk to parents. They put out a lot of stuff about parenting and, and families, and this is what he said. He says, research has found that parents, regardless of how it seems, are the primary spiritual influencers for children and students, for good or ill. You need to know that. You're the primary spiritual influencer for the good or bad. Either they're going to pick up on the good that you do or they're going to notice what you omit. They're going to notice, ah, that doesn't mean much to me. And so you are the primary spiritual influencer for children and students for good or ill. On average, the parents have roughly roughly 3,000 hours of spiritual influence and a youth ministry leader has about 40 hours on an annual basis each year. So parents, you have way more time and way more influence, and we only get, get your students and get your kids for about 40 hours in the year. And so it's on you. We're not here 
to lead your child to Jesus. Actually, your job to lead your child to Jesus. But what we are here to do is help resource you and help cheer you on, help refresh you, and, and, and help celebrate that and help guide that. We want to be that. But God has primarily called you to reach your family for Jesus. You are the primary minister that he's called. There's a pastor out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. His name is Willie George. This is what he said. He said, all influence is preceded by investment. All influence. If you're going to have influence, investment must go before it. If, if, if you invest in someone's life, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get influence in their life. And if you wonder, why don't I have influence in somebody's life? Have you invested? Where's the investment? What kind of investment have you made? And so all influence, every bit of influence, or it's parental, any kind of leadership, all influence is preceded by investment. So what are the things that we must learn correctly in our families? I want to give you a few of these things, and I know I'm getting close on, on time here, so I want to go through these real quick. But there, there are about five things I want to give you that we really we need to learn in our families, that we should have learned in our families. You should be teaching in your families. And if sometimes we, we may not have gotten all these. You know, you say, well, I didn't get that in my family. Well, no, you start now. Start building this, this in. You get a choice. You don't have to just continue the bad habits that you picked up for those who came before you. You get a choice on this. And you get a choice on what that looks like behind you, those who come behind you. And the, the Scripture tells me this. It says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from that. Now, I don't believe that that's a promise because I do know people who walked away, but I believe that it's a principle. And a principle is this, that this is generally the case, that when you train and invest and pour in, that these children and your families and those that you're pouring into and you have influence over will generally walk that path. And even if they will step off of that, a lot of times they will come back. I've seen that in my own family, my sister. With my sister, she, she ran out and did her own thing for a while, you know, and prayed for her, and, and, and she came back. And now she's serving Christ, and she's, she's living for Jesus, and, and she's trying to do her best to pass that along to her kids and her grandkids. And so, so what are the things that we must learn? The first thing is this, is we've got to learn, and we, we should have learned, and we've got to learn how to manage our feelings. See, in a healthy family, you learn how to recognize, identify, own up to, express, and deal with your feelings. At least you should in a healthy family. Now, if you've been in an unhealthy family, in a dysfunctional family, maybe you didn't learn how good, good feelings management. Maybe feelings were kind of pushed down and repressed, and we don't talk about that. Just, just leave that alone. Or else it was always... All, everybody had the feelings on their sleeve, and you couldn't say anything at all because, you know, it would just explode. And, and so we, we have to learn to manage our feelings. Awesome families should let everyone be honest and let kids express their emotions. But they also need to know what it looks like to control that emotion, you know. And, and, and so for us, we've got to learn how to manage our feelings. We also have to learn how to do this. We have to learn how to handle conflict. And and some of us, we haven't seen good conflict management growing up, right? Some of us, we, we saw it done very poorly. And all it was was just bickering and arguing and never, nobody ever. And, and it might have ended in a divorce and it might have ended in uh, families being ripped apart because we never learned good conflict management. So what's important for us now that if we have a family, it's important for us to say, hey, I've got to help my family understand what good conflict management, how do I handle conflict? Kids need to see their parents working problems out 
in front of them and showing how to deal with differences in a healthy way. Thank you. One person. Yes, we should. Now, I'll be honest with you. I haven't always modeled this perfectly. All right? I'm your pastor. I love you. This is what we should be doing. I haven't always done this perfectly. But I have tried to recognize where, where we failed, that there's times that we haven't done well, and we can't, we can't do this again. We can't, we can't keep modeling that. We want to model something different to our children. And so for us, it doesn't mean that we've done it perfectly, but it does mean that we've been intentional about trying to show them what this looks like when uh, conflict is handled in a healthy way. And there are different ways to handle that. So we, we manage feelings. We manage conflict. Real quick, real quick, we have to show them how to handle loss. We have to show them how to handle loss. You don't want your kids to win all the time. Some of you say, well, Pastor, you have stepped off track now. My kid's a winner, you know. I don't, my, we don't know what losing is in my house. We don't never going to know what losing is. All right, then that's, that's a problem because at some point your kid is going to hit a loss at some point because that's real life. And if they've never learned how to handle a loss in your house, they're not going to ha- learn how to handle it out in the world. And that's a problem that, that we have today. So, so you don't want your kids to always win all the time because when they get out in the real world and they have to face inevitable losses, it will be devastating. They need to learn that failure doesn't have to be final you can come back failure doesn't have to be final it doesn't mean you know what i'm done with you it means hey come on let's get up let's let's do this again let's start over no matter how painful it may be we have to model that in our homes they need to hear that in in our homes that has to be a value in our homes because if they hear that in our homes they're going to be more resilient when they hit the real world And I think about the scripture that a righteous man falls seven times and seven times he rises again. It doesn't say that a righteous man never falls. You say, well, he's righteous. He doesn't mess up. He doesn't do anything bad. No, that's not what he's saying. A righteous man falls seven times and he's going to get back up. That's what it looks like to learn how to to lose. And you know what? To trust something bigger than yourself. To trust someone more capable than you. To trust God with your losses and failures. And say, this was bad, but Lord, I put it in your hands. We've got to teach them how to manage feelings. We've got to teach them how to handle conflict. We've got to teach them how how to handle loss. We've got to teach them what the most important things are. That there, there are things in life that we get tempted Guys, I said it. I said it a few weeks ago that sin is fun. Uh, if it wasn't fun, we wouldn't walk into it. You know, we wouldn't. We wouldn't be susceptible to it. It wouldn't be a temptation. But sin is fun. But we also have to understand that there are consequences to our sin, and and we have to understand that there are things that sometimes we make really important that really aren't that important, or should not be as important as other things. There, there are times when our prior priorities get out of whack, and uh, Rick Warren said it like this. He said, um, he said, basic temptations that we all face, how you feel, what you do, what you get in life. He said it comes down to these three things. You can say it like this, sex, salary, and status. Sex, salary, and status. Those are the areas where we're tempted to get those priorities out of whack. 
Those are the areas where we're tempted to push them way up and say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm try- I just want to make a lot of money, or I just want to be famous, or you know, I just want to have all the sex I can have, and all these things. We push them way up, and they, they're out of order. And we talked about that several weeks ago when we talked about first things first, being able to put those. And, and sex is not a bad thing. Pastor Trent is actually going through a series right now with our youth. And um, every February they go through the sex series and trying to help them understand, listen, uh, we want you to understand um, sex in a biblical way, that God intends for it to be good, but God intends for it to be in an ordered manner. It needs to look a certain way. So it doesn't devastate your life and create havoc and problems for you down the road. So we, what are the most important things? And being able to build in and, and say, hey, what matters most goes in first. Then the last thing is this. I'm going to ask Pastor Trent if he'll come play. Um, good habits. Come on, somebody. It's February. You're trying good habits, right? You know, I was trying to jump off that that wagon of going to the gym uh, on Monday morning. I, I made a conscious choice. I am not going. I am going to eat something that's not good for me. And my son wouldn't let me do it. He said, we're developing good habits, right? And, and I was reminded of that, and I do. I, 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 want to, I want to have good habits because I want them to have good habits. And I'll be honest, I haven't had all the perfect habits. You look at me and tell, I need to go to the gym more. But we need good habits. We need to have good habits modeled. Habits determined habits determines our character. Families should help each other grow so that everyone's character is more like Jesus Christ. And that's the reason that Paul is giving the instruction that he's giving and what this looks like. There's a guy by the name of N.T. Wright. This is what he said about this passage here in, um, that Paul, Paul wrote to the Colossian church. He said, Paul is quite clear that in the mutuality of respect and love that makes a marriage what it should be. The roles are reciprocal, not identical. That our roles are, there's a give and take there. But they don't have to look exactly the same. And he said, but there's a give and take there. And there's this, this where we learn good habits and we model good habits. See, what we value drives our choices. What are the values that you have in your life? What are the values in your family? You want to know what they are? Look at the choices that you make. You want to know what your values really are? You can say what your values are, but if you really want to know what they are, look at where you've spent your time, you've spent your money, and you put the emphasis. That's what you really value. Because our values drive our choices. Last quote I want to give you from Pastor Willie George again said this, he said, good living is built on good habits. A good outcome is the direct result of a thousand small choices. We think, oh, it's these big choices, big choices, big choices, yeah, there are big choices in life. But you know what you're going to be presented with? You're going to be presented with a thousand small choices before you get to that one big one. And the person you are when you get to that one big choice is going to be result of all those choices you made leading up to that. When it comes to those big choices in life and those big things in life, all the little things make you who you are. So what does that look like? What does that look like for your family? What are you modeling for your kids? What are you modeling for maybe 
people that you have influence on, maybe people that you've invested in, now you have influence over them. Let's be in